You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. If you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, I'm just going to do something a little bit different in light of this season and the coming uh, holiday in which we honor and celebrate Thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, please pull out uh, those stack of notes in your bulletin uh, that you can see the scriptures, make sure I'm preaching God's Word to you, all right? And then also, if you have a smartphone and you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, that's Y-O-U version, you can go to the More tab, tap Events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, click on today's sermon title, uh, and there uh, you can say, see the notes and save the notes on your phone. And they're, they're very similar, really close. Some things I can't replicate, but for the most part, uh, you'll get the gist of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. I want to preach a sermon uh, that I've entitled simply, Grace and Gratitude. Grace and gratitude. A couple of weeks ago, I was pulling out of the driveway to take Scotland to school. That's my four-year-old. Her name is Scotland. I affectionately call her Rotland. And if you know her, you'll know why. But I noticed the change of the leaves on one of the smaller trees in our yard. And the leaves range from a fiery red to a burnt orange. It was beautiful. I spoke up to Scotty. I said, look at that tree. And she replied, I already saw it. At first, I grunted to myself, come on, kid. Enjoy this. And then I realized this. She already had. It had probably been that way for weeks And I was the one that hadn't noticed it. The tree had been brilliant and blazing. And I drove past it for weeks. And looked past it for days without end. And I am confident, I can't swear to this, I am sure she noticed it on the first day. Isn't that typical adult experience? We work, we sleep, we repeat. Work, sleep, repeat. And only when something is like glaring out of the ordinary do we stop and enjoy it. As you read the Apostle Paul's letters, I mean the whole Pauline corpus in the New Testament, you will see the place that grace held in Paul's mind. 
Every letter Paul wrote begins with a prominent note of grace and it ends with a signal of grace. And as you will see, grace, and I'm being specific here, God's grace is the foundation and fountain of all thanksgiving. There is a relationship between God's grace and our gratitude. But the question I want us to explore really simply this morning is what is God's grace and why should we be grateful for it in light of this season? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 through 9. Notice this. I always thank my God and I like to translate this in case you're new. For y'all because of the grace of God given to y'all in Christ Jesus. That y'all, it's talking about as a church, were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among y'all. So that y'all do not lack any spiritual gift as y'all eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will also strengthen y'all to the end, so that y'all will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Y'all were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I read the y'alls there because we don't see the second person plural from the Greek. We read it too personally and he's talking to the church as a whole. What is grace? If we understand the grace that has been given to us all, we will burst forth into thanksgiving and praise. But we've got to answer the question, what is God's grace? What is Paul talking about in this passage? The very first thing that I want you to write down in your notes, all right? And I'm going to give you just a really ultra-basic definition of what grace is in general, not in connection to God, just in general. But write this down, grace is Assistance. Grace is assistance. One part of the explanation of the word grace can be found in its Old Testament counterpart. There are two words of relevance, and you'll see this. I think I put them in your notes so that you can see. But it's hen, and it looks like C-H-E-N, but it's pronounced hen. And then hesed, and it's also uh, wrote C-H-E-S-E-D. And they both denote in the Old Testament the generous act or the assistance of a superior to an inferior. All right? The generous support or an act of assistance from a superior to an inferior. So let me give you some of the examples in which hen and hesed are used in the Old Testament so you can get an idea of when we talk about God's grace. It's this. So Genesis 6, 9, Noah found grace, assistance. In the eyes of the Lord. But notice, a superior to an inferior. See how this works? Lot states, remember after uh, God de destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot states, your servant, he's in reference to himself, has found favor with you, talking to Yahweh, and you have shown me great kindness by sparing my life. All right? Genesis 39, 21, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Psalm 6.4. Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for the mercy's sake, for your grace's sake. It's a part of God's character. Psalm 51.1. This is when 
uh, the, the psalmist David, King David, is confessing his sin of adultery and murder. And listen to what he says. He says, have mercy, grace, right? On me, Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And then another way in which we see this support or assistance from a superior to an inferior is in the story of Queen Esther. Esther 2.17. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now that's the counterpart. Ken and Hester are the counterpart. Sometimes you'll see it in your King James Version as translated as loving kindness. All right. When we get into the New Testament, Paul's word for grace is charis. Charis is C-H with a hard cut. A-R-I-S. And when the word charis showed up in the Roman context in which Paul lived, it had no particular theological or religious connotation. It was used as an everyday word. The context was one of benefaction, donation. Think of it that way. Or gifts or favors done by the gods or individuals to cities and institutions. In this context, in Paul's day, the term would have been familiar to Paul and his readers who would have seen daily the numerous inscriptions that adorned any Greek city commemorating or honoring previous donors. We even do that today. Sometimes you'll see a plaque on a wall to honor somebody who gave a gift to make a building, right? And Paul would call that, that's grace. That's grace. That's charis. So when we put it in the context of God, right, we just saw it in its relationship with people in the Old Testament. We just saw how it was used in Paul's everyday life. How does Paul take that term and those concepts and use them for God? And write this down. In the biblical context, God's grace is this. It refers to the conned turning. I love this. The conned turning of God to persons, to persons in an act of assistance in time of need. So it refers to God's conned turning to persons in an act of assistance in time of need. Now, the question is this. So that's what God's grace is. What all does God's grace include? What all types of assistance does he give according to the Apostle Paul? Y'all get ready for this. Throughout his letters, Paul clarifies that he was convinced that not only was his eternal salvation bound up in grace, but his whole life was due to grace. Did you catch that? His whole life was due to God's grace. Paul, when he writes the word grace in the Greek, is consistently singular. He does not talk about the graces of God. He talks about the grace of God. And it's this same grace, this same foundation, the same fountain from which every assistance God gives you flows from. It's one grace that provides for your daily needs, and it's the same exact grace that provides for your eternal salvation. Isn't that amazing? It's all a part of one thing that God does for you. Notice how grace worked in the life of the Apostle Paul. Grace was working on him long before he even lived. Listen to Galatians 1.15. It was grace which separated Paul from his mother's womb and called him. 
God's grace was active in his life before he even had life. Ephesians 3.8, it was the grace which God gave him the task of preaching among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's a grace of God to preach Jesus and to have him on our lips. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, it was grace which enabled him to lay the foundation of the faith of the Corinthians like a wise master builder to plant the gospel in the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians 1.12, grace made him able to conduct himself in the world. Church, do you need more grace just to live in this world? It comes from God. Galatians 2.9, it was grace in his relationships to the Gentiles or non-Jews which persuaded the leaders of the church to accept him. Right? This is awesome. And Romans 12.3, it says it was God's grace that allowed him to speak. Just to utter words. Grace was not only evident in the great events of Paul's life, but it was also there to enable him to meet the regular demands of life. He tells, you probably are familiar with this story, of the thorn in his flesh. And he prayed that it would be removed. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he tells this, this, that it was not God's will for God to release him from that thorn in the flesh, but that his Grace, his assistance would be sufficient each and every day to deal with the burden. And Paul ultimately will say this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, that grace summed up his whole life. Listen to this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I've worked harder than any of them. Now get ready. He's like, when it just looks like he's about to say, I did this. Notice what he said. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. <laughs> so he says, I am what I am because of God's grace. And anything you've seen me do is because of God's grace. Everything, write it down, is all of grace. Now that's hard. I don't expect, because I've struggled with this as I wrote this. When you begin to understand, like I, I was sitting in my living room, I was writing this statement, and, and I said, everything is all of grace. And I looked up and I saw a lamp in our you know, living room giving us light. And I was like, that light from that lamp is a grace of God. And then I saw that door <laughs> to our house. I was like, that is a grace of God. It's our home. And there's protection, right? You see what I'm saying? And you, can, like, you cannot, you can't look up. You can't even, matter of fact, you can't even look without the grace of God. See what I mean? It starts to realize you're swimming in the grace of God. It's the air you breathe every day. God is constantly, this is good church, constantly has turned kindly towards you. Because you understand, we deserve him to turn in wrath toward us at all times because of our sin and rebellion. And yet, because of who he is, not because of who we are, he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. And so he turns often in our life, kindly, and doesn't give us what we deserve. In fact, he gives us things better than what we deserve. But it's constant. And I want you to catch this, number two, when we talk about grace then, if grace is assistance, then number two, grace is not warranted or won. 
This is so important to the biblical concept of God's grace. It's not warranted or warranted. When I say the word warranted, I'm saying this, that there is nothing in us about who we are or what we can do that can cause God to give us grace. This is important because if you flip on your religious television, you'll hear all the time about things you can do to gain favor with God. It's a lie. It's a lie. His favor is chosen by himself. He does it regardless of your works or your performance. And you cannot win it. You cannot give into the plate and earn the favor of God. You understand that? There is no amount of service. There's no amount of singing. There's no amount of, of, of any type of, of religious activity, right, ritual, tradition, where you can go, that put me into greater favor or assistance with God. By definition, grace is assistance, which means you are in need. You are in help. That's what it's supposed to be. So they're mutually exclusive. When Paul laid such stress on grace, it differed greatly from the teaching of his day. According to the legalistic idea of religion, God and humanity's relationship, and this is important and it will help explain a lot of your New Testament, that most of your, your Judaizers and Jews conceived of our relationship with God as debit and credit. When you sin, you become indebted, and when you do something good, you earn credit. In fact, in the Mishnah, which is the first major written collection of the Jewish oral tradition, so somebody put into writing what was being taught, all right? And it said this, this is a sentence taken from it. It was because the Holy One, in reference to God, wished to give Israel an opportunity to acquire merit that he gave them so much Torah, the law, and so many commandments. So the perception of God's Old Testament, but think of the Ten Commandments. The reason why God gave them was so that you can do them in order to amass credit or favor with Him. If you've read Paul at all, he goes, that is not why the Ten Commandments were given. They were given to expose our sinful nature and to go, we're in need of God's assistance, not to ever look at God and go, hey, look what you owe me. That is not the point of it. The law, they thought, enabled a person to amass credit for God. And nothing could be more diametrically opposed to Paul's doctrine of law and gospel. He would say the law teaches us about God's grace. Why? Because it shows our deficiency, our weakness. And then the gospel ultimately comes into view when we go, and we are sinners, and if it wasn't for the grace of God in providing Jesus, we would be in hell. Think about what Paul said in Galatians. And he, this even happens in Christian living. Because church, sometimes here's what we do. We have faith in Jesus to justify us or make us right with God. But we also forget that it's faith in Jesus that sanctifies us as well. We sometimes have this concept that like God gets us started with Jesus in our relationship with him. And then after we repent of our sins and trust Christ as our Savior, now I'm out to live a good life. Whoa. <laughs> You are still a sinner by nature. You are. It will require faith alone in Christ daily to be free of the guilt and stain of sin. And so many times we think it's Jesus plus this that will help me change in my life. No, it's not. It's just Jesus. 
Listen to what Galatians 2.21 uh, said. If a man can establish a right relationship between himself and God by meticulous performance of the works of the law, then the death of Christ was a colossal mistake and his sacrifice was utterly unnecessary. If somehow, and I'm going to get to this, I'm trying not to say it, if we can aid Jesus in his assistance of us, it's not grace any longer. And that also means that if it is of grace, there's nothing you can do about it. It is something you receive by faith. Grace encompasses the idea of a gift that is completely free. The concepts of grace and works are mutually exclusive and completely contradictory. No one can earn grace, church, and that's a good thing. It is only humbly appreciatively and adoringly received. Here's what I wanted to say, and you can write it down now. Grace needs no supplement. That's good. Grace needs no supplement. You do not have to supplement the work of Jesus. All right? It is sufficient. It is sufficient. Because here's how we pervert grace. Write this down. This is how we can pervert grace. Number one, we can pervert grace when we reverse the gospel. And here's what that means. When Jesus justifies us, he does regenerate us. He makes us new creatures. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and begins to produce fruit that we haven't ever done. All right? But here's what sometimes how we, we take grace and we pervert it is we somehow think, like I mentioned before, I have got to do the good things that Christians do in order to be saved. That's a reversal of the gospel. All right? All of us come on our knees humbly receiving receiving the gift of grace by faith. There is nothing we can do to merit or earn the gospel. And then what we see is this, it's God's grace at work in us that produces the good works of a Christian. But don't get them reversed. It's not good works that somehow capture the grace of God. It's grace that captures us and then changes us. So we can pervert God's grace when we reverse the gospel. The second thing is when we add rules to the gospel. When we add rules to the gospel, this happens, I believe, when we say things like this. It's repent, repentance and faith. And you just put in the blank. In church, we can do it in a lot more easier ways because it's, it's amazing to find out what second-tier tertiary doctrines make it up to number one. Jesus plus this, that's Christianity. And it's just Christ alone. It's just Christ alone. And a lot of these other issues that we're talking about is a matter of sanctification. We're in different degrees. And we're all striving to work out the unity of the faith. But it's Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and raised up again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Did you notice that the only thing you contributed to the story and plan of salvation is sin? You don't need to add any rule to it. Simple, unadulterated grace. Third, and this one may apply more than anything, when we feel self-sufficient. When we feel self-sufficient, and here's what I mean. Church, I'm not saying it's wrong to be confident, okay? I'm not talking about that. But I love what Paul says, who is adequate or sufficient for these things? Y'all, we're, we're not adequate to worship Jesus, we're not adequate to preach rightly. We're not adequate. We're not sufficient even to pray rightly. Did you notice that the Spirit of God, He helps you pray? You can't even pray right. And that's not to, be, that's not to beat you up into despair. 
what it should just remind you of is how dependent upon God we are for everything. And it's our own pride that perverts our hearts and souls to think, I've got this. I mean, how many of them, and that's what we want. The world so bad wants to look at each other in confidence and say, I've got this. And the reality is this, you don't have anything together. And that's a great thing when you've got a church that's aware of that. Like, I don't have it together. You don't have it together. We're here by God's grace. Like, yes, that's the church. None of us, according to the Bible, are self-sufficient. We're contingent beings. We're dependent upon another for our existence, for life, breath, food, shelter, clothing. And that's hard sometimes to accept that fact that we live by what God hands us. But it's the truth. The fourth thing is this, and this is actually really contrary, and I'll explain how you can deal with the counterintuitiveness in this in a minute, is when we feel indebted to God. Now you say, Josh, Josh, whoa, 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 whoa. But God has paid such a price. But listen to this, a price you could never repay. <laughs> never repay. This is, this is something interesting, and I'll show you how you can respond to the grace of God. But if you're under the delusion that you're going to be able to repay God for his grace, you don't understand the, the, the actual price of the atonement. It's the precious blood of the Son of God. You don't have anything that comes close. I mean, it's apples and oranges. What are you going to offer to him that he's like, yes, that makes up for the death of my son. That's ludicrous. And so it's really actually, I want you to catch this, it's actually really alleviating when you realize God's not looking for payback. He's not. Because he knows you can't. And he's going to tell you, so what do we do, God? We feel, we feel some sense of obligation to respond, but... But God, it can't be that free. I'll tell you how you can pay back in a second. Third, and we've got to catch this. I can't leave you without this. I haven't preached till I've said this. Number three, grace is personified in Jesus. Grace is personified in Jesus. John tells us he was full of grace and truth. I would say it this way, not to say there's anything wrong with John, but I want you to catch what he's saying. This is Josh's living translation. Whatever you see Jesus doing, that's God's grace. Whatever Jesus did is the grace, is the grace of God. From the very beginning, notice this, it's grace in Jesus Christ. It's God's love gift to all of us, you and me. 1 Corinthians 1.4 speaks of the grace of God which is given to y'all in Christ Jesus. God's grace was mediated to humanity by Jesus. Jesus Christ is the incarnate grace of God. Jesus is not, this is what I'm trying to say, Jesus is not just the channel by which the grace of God flows. It is God's grace. He is God's grace. The fact that he arrived means God's grace has arrived. The life of Jesus played out on earth did not alter. This is so amazing to think about. This is from William Barclay. The life of Jesus did not alter God's attitude toward you. This is so hard to fathom. You think, but, but Christ died for our sins and expiated our sins and, and propitiated the wrath of God, right? But here's what you have to remember. Isn't this interesting when we're at Christmas time? The, very, the angels, the messengers, they come. Jesus hasn't died for sin yet, right? And what do they say? Peace on earth. 
goodwill toward men. From the very moment of his appearing, it was a declaration of God's con turning to, to us. Do you see how that works? It wasn't that, okay, now that Jesus has died, God will be gracious. No, the fact that he gave. And if you want to go even further back, you ready for this? i got to preach just a little. Theology is this, and Jesus has always existed. You know that the scripture says that he was slain from the foundation of the world? That means God's grace was on you before you were ever a fault. You were conceived in grace. You have lived your whole life in grace. You will die in grace. And you will not escape this grace. You will not stand before God on judgment day and go, where was grace at? So what? So what? Let's put this down to where we can live with it. I need you to catch the idea of reciprocity is left behind. This is not, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You can't do that with God. That's why when you see Paul describe the grace of God, he's going to use terms like this, overflow, abound, surpassing, extraordinary, riches. Okay? He's just like searching for words, like what will make sure they get the concept that it's more than they could ever deal with. So what can we do? Here's an interesting thing, if you'll see this in this text. Can I just go back and read this real quick? It says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. And notice this, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ is confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, pause. This is what's really interesting. You're going to see this time after time when Paul talks about grace is that grace begets the, the, the Greek term charisma, which is a spiritual gift of service for one another. So let me put this into like layman's terms. God's grace has been poured out on you, not so that you will become indebted to him, impossible to pay back. But he says this, now take that grace and serve somebody else. You, wanna, you want to glorify God? Serve one another. You want to love God? Love one another. Isn't that interesting? Paul will actually, he'll talk about the term indebtedness. If you go to Romans chapter 1, he says this, I'm indebted to preach the gospel <laughs> to the Gentiles. You notice that? Wait, you want to pay back God? Go tell somebody else about God's love and what he's done for you. You see how that works? Because notice this, it says it. He, he says, I can't be a recipient. You can't pay me back. So go and bless others. Go give great gifts of grace on others. That's a way in which we, quote, repay God. He's not the object of our service. The other one is this, and this is what I need you to write down, is that grace begets gratitude. The only thing that he will accept, okay, is your thanksgiving. Did you catch that? Hey, you, you can't pay me back. But he understands he's worthy of worship. You see how that works? I know what this has caused. I know how your heart is bubbling over. And if you want to give a shout of praise, go ahead. Right? Just know you can't repay me. You can just be thankful. 
Your heart can just be full. And he'll receive that. The right response to grace is praise. This is not just singing praise and worship or falling on our knees in prayer and thanksgiving. It entails more. Paul wrote, you'll see this, to him be glory forever and ever. This means that we ascribe, listen to what Christians do. Christians ascribe all that is good and noble to who? To Jesus. You got anything good? Yep, well, it came from Jesus. Can I do anything good for you? Why? Well, because of Jesus. That's how he buttresses up our Christian life. Remember what Revelation 5.12 says? I just went over this. He says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Seven virtues and attitudes, he gets it all. Grace begets gratitude. Respond to grace with praise. Everything is all of grace. So you can give thanks in everything. In everything. And I always like to remind the church, if for some reason, right, it can't wrap your head around everything. That's hard. Remember this. If God never did another good thing for you, he never turned to you kindly again, He would still be worthy of all glory and honor forever. Just, first of all, to let you live. But it could just be due to one event and one event alone. The gift of his son. I need you to think about that. You could suffer every second of your 120 years here. And yet the gift of Jesus to redeem you from death would be enough for us to praise him for eternity. And then, like, on top of that, so he's giving you every spiritual blessing, and he takes care of you physically. Right? It's like, man, I really can't find something to be grateful for. That just shows you how arrogant our hearts are. How blinded by pride we are. God wants you to receive his grace through faith. He, He gave it so you would receive it. We should all receive grace. And here's, I think what I'm trying to say is, we're all receiving grace. It's really just the difference is this. Who's acknowledging it or not? Who's actually saying, oh yeah, I'm in need. I'm a recipient of God's assistance every single second. That's really the difference. And then who walks around like, oh, this is owed to me or it's because of me. That's really the difference. We should receive this grace because of the severity of our sins Everyone here has offended God, and our sins are a barrier to a right relationship with God. And God gave His only Son, Jesus, to bear the punishment for our offenses. And think about this, nothing less than the death of God's only Son could provide you a means of escape from God's wrath and a right relationship with Him. That should show you the darkness and the blackness of a, of a tiny white lie. That's how offensive our sins are to God. That's how much also he loves you. I've tried to show you before. At the cross, you can see the severity of sin and the fierceness of God's love for you. Both and. God's work did not end there, though, church. This is why we're here. I'm not here to preach about some dead rabbi. God raised Jesus from the dead to prove to you that his grace is real. That he will forgive you. That he will save you, rescue you, deliver you, and take you on up to heaven. But I have to be aware, make you aware, God's grace is not automatic. And what I mean by that is while we're all recipients of God's grace, it is applied 
through faith, when we acknowledge them, God, you're giving me this. I am a sinner. I am in need. And I receive your grace. That grace is, is there for anyone who'll take it. But you've got to take it. When a person believes that Jesus died for their sins and was raised from the dead, God sheds his grace on them. He did not do this, and this is hard for us, but he did not do this because we are good or we are lovely. He did this because he is good and he is lovely. He did it on his own initiative. It's the superior to the inferior. He is good. And this is so hard sometimes. It pleased God to create us, and then even further, it pleased God to save us. This is grace, and if you know the Apostle Paul, he wishes it for you. He ends almost every letter like Philippians and Philemon. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. This, today, what I wanted to do is do what <laughs> sarcastically Scotty did for me. God's grace has always been there. And all I want to do is just go, did you see it? <laughs> I just want to point it out. Like, have you seen it? Because it's amazing. Or have you been like me, driving past it every day? <laughs> every day. Here's what I want you to do. If you're not a believer, if you've never repented of your sins, you've acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of God's salvation provided in Christ, you've never committed your life to Jesus, now I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray a prayer now. This prayer cannot save you. I'm just teaching you how to pray. You can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus is God. He is not dead. He's alive. He hears our thoughts and whispers. Would you simply pray to Jesus in the stillness and quietness of your heart? Just say, dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I deserve your wrath. But I believe in your grace. I believe you love me. You came down for me. You lived a sinless, perfect life. And you shed your blood on the cross to forgive all my sins and I believe to prove it God raised you from the dead please forgive me show me that great grace and grant me eternal life with every head bowed and every eye closed here's what I want to encourage you to do again please remember don't reverse the gospel the ba baptism is the way in which we show the church and the world that we have repented of our sins and committed our life to Christ. And we do this by, when we go under the water, we are showing or signifying to the world that we believe and identify with Jesus' death for our sins. And when we come up out of the water, we're showing we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. And if you've never been baptized, there, there's probably no greater witness and expression of love that you can give to, to Jesus and to the church and the world than to be baptized.
And I want to encourage you, the way you can sign up, or just if you want to just talk about baptism, on the back of that tear-off panel, check baptism, text BELIEVE to our text and church number, go to our website, click on the baptism tab. Just give me a chance to talk to you about that next right step. But as Stacy begins to play, you can begin. We're going to have a time of just meditation and reflection. And, and, the, and the prompt here is real simple. Because God's grace is in everything, we can be grateful for anything and everything. And so just take a moment to give Him thanks as we go into this season. I'm going to read a prayer over you, and after I read this, we'll have this time of reflection. It says, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Help us to rest in your grace. Help us to glorify you with lives of obedient love and joy. We do this in Jesus' name. Will you pray? Heavenly Father, we echo the sentiment of this song. Lord, may all glory be to you. We recognize today that there's nothing we deserve, that everything good that we have experienced has come down from you. It's your kind turning to us in assistance. Lord, we really, we confess, we do not understand the depths of our need. We, we don't know how you're sustaining us each and every millisecond of our lives. But we do pause today um, with the conviction of the truth that everything's from you. It's come from your hand. And we give you thanks. We tell you thank you. Thank you. And Lord, we do pray and ascribe all goodness is in your son. That your pleasures are at your right hand forevermore. We know that Jesus is at that right hand. And Lord, we do pray today, Lord, as you'll help us to realize that while we can never repay you, you do tell us to go and pay it forward, to share this grace with others and to serve one another and love one another. Help us, God, to do that. And help us to notice the little things, the little gifts that we go by each and every day. Bless our congregation with the spirit of thanksgiving to worship you for who you are. 
We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this in his strong name and all God's people said, amen. All right, guys, just a couple of quick announcements for you, and I'll be done. I do want to encourage you, please RSVP uh, for church, okay? Um, we try to you know, make a decision about having a 9 o'clock service as well by Thursday of each week, okay? So please, you can tear off that panel now in the back, check off the RSVP section, drop it in the drop box. I'll enter it manually. You can text RSVP to our texting church number. You can go to our website and click reserve. We're just doing our best to maintain social distancing guidelines uh, by knowing who, how many we can expect on each Sunday. I do want to encourage you and re remember this. So, and I'll explain it more next week uh, after the church uh, budget vote. Is we will have a special gathering next Sunday night, so the 29th, the, 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 the 29th of November, Sunday night, six o'clock, to to let the church first go through our drive-through Christmas. Everybody understand? Because I cannot guarantee you, right? With the with the way I think the turnout's going to be, you need to be here Sunday that 29th before we open it up to the public on the 30th. Everybody got what I'm saying? Uh, but the game plan right now is we're going to try, if I'm right, try to piece together communion that evening and candlelight. We're going to do Christmas on the 29th. Everybody get what I mean? Uh, so be here at 6, and uh, let's enjoy that time together, and we get to drive through that night. So I want to remind you of that. Don't miss Sunday school, 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall. You don't have to RSVP. Brother Charles began uh, a series on creation, and we're talking about the origin of humanity right next week. Uh, so please pause and be a part of that at 10 o'clock downstairs. And then don't forget, Brother Aaron will be preaching uh, the gift. Oh, not the gift of hope. Is that this Sunday, Aaron? Or is he already downstairs? Christmas. All right. Okay, yeah. So he'll be preaching tonight at 6. I was like, did I put, upload the right one? We'll see. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but at 5.58, turn on there. I will not be uh, teaching live this Wednesday due to Thanksgiving, but I'll be back in the book of Revelation chapter 6 the following Wednesday. Thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you guys. Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in one last song? Amen. After a, a word from God like we got this morning. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.